Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast, presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we, uh, we're we going to have some fun talking about the football team. Um, let's see. It's 6.08 now on Wednesday, for those of you who don't know what day it is. Uh, definitely use me for your calendar. That'll go great. But uh, I'm jumping on the, the free balling podcast with those guys at 7. So what? We've got about 50 minutes to talk through a bunch of my thoughts about specifically the, the CU passing attack. I've been kind of busy recently, these last couple of weeks, doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, some of them fun, most of them not all that fun. Uh, but I did get a chance today to write about some of the things that Clay Patterson, the new tight ends coach slash passing game coordinator, has to say about revamping the passing game because it needs revamped or just totally destroyed and burned and stomped on and buried and whatever else. And then, uh, and then after that, just totally rebuilt from scratch. Um, that's the plan for today. Just talk about the passing game because there is, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about. I mean, touch on the protection. How much better can that really be? Um, who is the quarterback? Uh, if, if it's JT Shrout, how does that change the offense versus if it's Brendan Lewis? Um, if uh, this offense is going to be more in like the the Clay Patterson mold or the Mike Sanford mold, at least in the passing game. Um, and those molds are very different. Um, plus, like, how much of it's Minnesota? How much of it is Stanford? How much of it... There's, there's a lot of questions about this passing attack, as, I mean, obviously there should be. 
and uh, we're going to maybe guess at some answers. Who knows? Uh, but just dig into the passing game. I feel like that's a lot of fun, or at least it's supposed to be fun, and that's one of the things that Clay Patterson said. Like His goal is to make it fun and to put players in positions to be successful, but also just, I mean, he said straight up, we want the passing attack to be fun again because the forward pass is a fun thing to do. Like that's supposed to be the exciting part of the game. And that has not been the case in I mean, really for the last two seasons, right? Because last year, obviously rough, 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 rough. Uh, but the year before, a lot of what the Buffs did relied on Jarek Broussard and Sam Neuer running the ball as much as he was passing it. Um, so it has been a minute since we've seen a, a solid passing attack and uh, it's it's going to be a tough job to clean it up. So there we go. That's the plan. Um, well, I've talked for about three minutes now. we got 49 minutes left. Then free balling. And then, uh, and then I'm actually going up to, well, not Boulder, to Westminster, um, to Bender's, Dave Platty's bar, which in Armstrong. Uh, yeah, Platty and Armstrong, I believe. Uh, but that uh, should be a fun place to go check out the uh, the women's hockey team the u.s women's team in the gold medal game that's a hockey bar up there why not give dave platty and uh jim armstrong their, their bar a little shout out um now we have 48 minutes so let's start <laughs> um first of all let's just start with uh the difference between the the two offenses that clay patterson and mike sanford run so again Obviously, these last couple years, they've both been with Minnesota. And Minnesota is a very heavy offense, and under-center offense. Um, they do use quite a few RPOs. It's, it's kind of like a modernized, heavy, power-running, ground-and-pound type of team. Um, but again, like with those modern tweaks to, to change a couple of the blocking schemes, to say like, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to put big man at fullback. Let's do that. I mean, we all saw, well, maybe not all of us, um, because some of us don't watch every bowl game, but uh, Daniel Falele, the six foot nine tackle, who's going to be probably a top fifty draft pick in April, uh, they put him at fullback. They hand the ball off to him, and he scores a touchdown. But that's the type type of stuff they do. They'll put an extra lineman at tight end. They'll put one at fullback, and um, you know you have those types of tweaks that you know modernize it in a way. But then also what they're known for is the RPOs. But that offense, I think, is very different than what either of them have done. Uh, Mike Sanford comes from the Boise State tree, the the Stanford, David Shaw type of tree. A, a lot of under-center type of stuff. Uh, West Coast, definitely West Coast, but under-center. A um, lot of time with a couple of tight ends. Use those guys for matchup mismatches. Um, and uh, still can get some creativity out of it, but... but a very heavy offense, which, I mean, in 2022, heavy offenses feel kind of outdated. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily true, but uh, it's definitely the vibe that we get. You know, it's how we talk about offensive football at this point. Um, with Clay Patterson, though, who, again, 39-year-old, been the tight ends coach at uh, Minnesota for a few years, um, but before that was like a head coach at the JUCO level, offensive coordinator, I think, Juco, but then also maybe D2 or D3 in there. Um, the Minnesota stuff pushes him toward the under center, but when he was in control, there was a lot more spread. Uh, it was opening everything up and um, playing what a lot of people would consider a more modern brand of football. Now, those two work together to 
build an offense. And now all of them, I think, maybe not so much with Patterson, but but the rest of the offensive crew with, you know, obviously Carl Durrell in there, but Phil McGagan, um, all these guys, there's some pretty heavy West Coast influences. And I think that in terms of the, the passing concepts, those sorts of things, you expect the West Coast stuff. Um, and, and again, I think there's... There's been kind of revolutions in that. You look back to, obviously, Bill Walsh starting it, and then Mike Shanahan in the late 90s with the Broncos winning the Super Bowls when they kind of opened things up a little bit with that West Coast. And then now recently, you've started to see it. And The Rams obviously have some of that stuff of just winning a Super Bowl, but also the 49ers are kind of the, the forefront of the innovation of it. You know, all the different ways you use Debo Samuel. Um, George Kittle kind of being the matchup guy who... who makes things really tough for defenses and uh who else right now is kind of going i mean i guess you could probably look at the packers and say there's some creativity there's not quite so much as the uh the 49ers but that's a similar one um oh the uh the chiefs obviously i mean that that's right there at the top of the list with the 49ers and the rams um yeah i mean you guys get the point the knock is that the terminology can be pretty complicated. Um, there's a lot to learn specifically for quarterbacks. And again, in college football, maybe not so ideal. And I'd say that in terms of running this style of offense, that is my personal biggest concern is, I mean, can you build big enough playbook that you kind of like you get the full benefit of using an offense like that or do you have to kind of cut some things out and simplify it uh, to make it work which obviously has some serious drawbacks or you know if you do build it that big do people have trouble understanding it knowing what they're supposed to do um that's uh that's my big concern in terms of like playing that style of football i love it i think it's timeless i think that anything that that comes up in the league it's easy to incorporate you know whether it's new styles of screens, the jet sweeps, all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of things that you can do out of it. Um, but again, at this point, the big question is, are you running it under center? Are you running it out of spread? Um, likely, I think you're going to see a bunch of both, considering that you have coaches with both those backgrounds. I think that that's probably why you do that, so that you can be very multiple. Um, but, I mean, just what what will we think of when we think of the Buffs offense next December, you know, are we going to be thinking like, oh, wow, yeah, shotgun, spread, all that sort of stuff? Are we going to be thinking like, yeah, they were really ground and pound and that's how I'm not sure. And how this split works out is going to be interesting because I do think that maybe now more than ever, the shotgun running game is something that can really be as, as, as good as an under center running game. Now, obviously, there's things that change, but I think the creativity that you see with all the different ways that you can hand the ball off out of shotgun, the different places you can go, the different players you can have pulling, if you are creative with it and if you're talented enough up front, because a lot of the time that does just come down to one-on-ones in a way that maybe you don't see quite so much when you're running under center, I do think that that can be the basis for a good running football team. In the NFL, for example, you know, you see I mean, Baltimore is almost exclusively pistol and shotgun. 
um, but they run the ball really well. Um, Pittsburgh, the same way. Kansas City, I, th- I wonder what the stats say. It seems like they have a, a good running game, better than you'd expect at least. The point of all of this is just to say like that, that breakdown is going to be interesting to see. And, and honestly, it's just going to change a lot week to week would be my guess. Um, you know, if, if you're playing USC, then you're probably going to put an extra tight end out there and then line up under center. Um, if, if you're playing, say like Arizona, maybe you want to spread it out more. I and mean, who do you want to really test the defensive backs for? Maybe Cal, depending on if they bounce back a little bit. Um, I mean, really the bad teams, I would guess, you know, Utah, you might want to spread them out a little bit more. Um, Oregon will be interesting because they have some turnover, but that could be one where you say we want to we want to run the ball out of shotgun a bit and try to clear some space. Um, but yeah, it's going to be kind of a week to week matchup sort of thing, and and you're going to see that versatility would be my guess, and that could be wrong. Um, in terms of Brendan Lewis and JT Shroud, I think that it's pretty clear that you're more likely to go shotgun with Brendan. Um, I think that that he's shown a little bit more comfortability there. And I think, you know, I haven't watched much Tennessee, but it seems like the little bit of JT Shroud I saw, I mean, typically he got into games because they were down, so that would change things. But he looked like he was out of shotgun quite a bit too. Um, I would guess that they might try to get him under center a little bit more. And I do think that still, uh, the odds are, you know, I'm going to move him a bit. I say 65% you see JT Shroud as the opening day starter, if everybody's healthy and all that sort of stuff. Um, and from there, I go 25% Brendan and then 10% somebody else, probably with Drew Carter leading the way. Um, yeah, probably Drew Carter. Owen McCown is a dark horse. I don't think so yet. I do think that with Owen, there's a good chance that there's like a week during spring ball or a week during fall camp where the reports are good. More likely spring ball, I'd guess. I th- yeah, he's on campus. Um, we're like, oh, is he in it? And we'll get excited, but I don't, I don't think so as a true freshman, especially uh, being a little bit smaller as a dual threat. Um, yeah, so there's some thoughts on that stuff. But uh, real quick, let's do this. Uh, Dr- DraftKings Sportsbook, they make so much of what we do possible. I know I'm excited tonight. Uh, we've got an hour and a half basically before the, the Nuggets and the Avs start. The Nuggets are underdogs at Golden State tonight. Um, I, I, I'm going to be putting some money on the Nuggets to win that one. Uh, the Avs have Vegas, which obviously that's becoming a, a pretty big rivalry. They've got Jack Eichel back tonight. And that the, the Avs are still favored, but it's pretty close. But I've got those two. I'm going to parlay both of them with uh, the U.S. women's team to win tonight against Canada in that gold medal game. And uh, that one's like plus 190. I haven't made the bet yet, but I guess that with all that, it's got to be, what, maybe, I mean, it might get to 10 to 1 odds. That's what I'm hoping for, I guess. I hope that that gets me a 10 to 1 odds. It might not, though. Um, I wouldn't be too surprised. But, again, there's just so much fun stuff that you can do over at DraftKings Sportsbook. And they have an awesome deal right now that you guys need to be taking advantage of. If you're not a new user, or if you're not a user yet, become a new user by using the code DNVR when you sign up. And if you do that then you will get this week's special offer, which is for new users to get 150 to 1 odds on any NBA game. So you pick any team that you think is going, yeah, you think is going to win. 
bet one dollar you'll get 150 dollars in free bets if that team wins uh, it's awesome stuff so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use the promo code DMVR bet just one dollar on any NBA team and get 150 dollars in free bets if they win it's promo code DMVR at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA must be 21 or older Colorado only new customers only minimum five dollar deposit restrictions apply see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-522- 4,700. All right. Um, I want to get into these receivers next because I think that, that that's got to be like the biggest position battle. I think that's... I mean, I guess it has to be quarterback. It has to be quarterback just because, I mean, that's the most important position. But wide receiver, I think, is number two. And the reason is because you've got some good players who are proven... But you've also got some veterans who are coming back after injuries. And because of that, I, I, I think that there are eight, let's say eight different players who could wind up starting for Colorado this season. If you say like three starters, I think that there's probably eight um, that, that are competing. And maybe you can make a case for more than that. But one of the things that Mike Sanford said was that you might see some players who didn't do all that much last year, the year before, whatever, really break out in the new offense with the new scheme um, just because they fit better. And with that in mind, I want to run through this and talk about who some of those candidates are. Um, first of all, the reason they could fit better in a West Coast offense is, I think, number one, that you understand it. Um, I, I think that these plays, maybe more so than the plays called in the past, will be called with the idea of manipulating the defense in a way that you know that one of these guys is going to get open. Like, that's what's going to be in mind, is we think that if we run this pattern, we're going to have defenders forced to commit to this guy or this guy and, and leave somebody else open. Whereas last year, I think that maybe that offense was built a little bit more to let your playmakers make plays. You know, say, let's run this post route to Brendan and let Brendan go get open on the outside um, and, and then try to get that ball to him. I think this might be, okay, we're going to wind up with three defenders on the right side. How do we get four guys over there so that one of them is uncovered? On top of that, again, you have to understand everything that you're supposed to do and understand the why of it, I think, is really important. You know, you, you can't be... If you're running the under route, you can't be drifting back a little bit because you see some space there because your job isn't necessarily to get open. Your job is now to draw a defender to you and make sure that that defender is stuck on you in a way that opens up the guy running the over route behind you. Um, all of this is just to say that I do think that this route running feel for what you're doing is going to be emphasized. I think that you know, Dimitri Stanley probably would have played quite a bit better in this offense than he would have in the previous offense. You know, I look at guys like Chase Penry as a potential breakout player um, for a bunch of reasons. First of all, he played quite a bit as a true freshman and looked good out there. I think that he has a bunch of traits you really like. I think that he has a lot of those slot receiver abilities to get open, to, uh, to use his footwork, um, and... Also has that size at like six foot one, I believe he's listed at, 
to also maybe stretch the seam a little bit or, or run some some deeper routes and, and potentially make some contested catches as well. I think that somebody like that could really thrive. I wonder about a guy like Jalen Jackson as well. Again, these, these slot-style receivers are probably who will benefit the most. Um, and I think that the way that he plays could be conducive to, to this offense. And part of that is just that this West Coast offense, it's get the ball in the playmakers' hands and let them go make plays. You know, it's, the idea isn't, well, we're going to nickel and dime our way down the field. The idea is that, hey, if we spread five guys across five yards deep, that's an easy throw to pick up those five yards. But also, Jalen Jackson or Montana Lamonius Craig, these guys can, can make something happen with the ball in their hands from there. I think that Jalen Jackson really fits that mold. I think R.J. Sneed is probably the top of this list just because he is so proven um, and in and, and doing those sorts of things, getting the ball in his hands and making guys miss. I, again, Brendan Rice might need to polish up the footwork a little bit, but he also, I think, would be a pretty good fit in this offense too. Um, you know, a Daniel Arias, you could see how he would struggle a little bit more. Um I do think that we saw a lot of growth from him last year. And I think that there are some players who just are kind of late bloomers. And if he's able to build on that this season and, and take that step further, then yeah, he'll be fine. But in terms of these breakout players, you know, I am really excited to get Jalen Jackson and Maurice Bell back. Maybe, maybe Maurice Bell even more so. Um, another one of these guys who is like a kick returner type. And so you, you get him the ball and let him go. I think that you could have some success there. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see how these guys are used. You know, like a Chase Penry, for example, is he is he used more on these underneath routes, or are they letting him run a little bit deeper? You know, is he like a Tyler Boyd type? Is he a Wes Welker pure slot type? We're going to see what the coaching staff thinks of him, and I really think that these evaluations that Phil McGagan does are going to be crucial in all of this. I think blocking is going to be crucial in all of this because I do think that even with the, the turnover at running back and with the question marks along the offensive line, there is a real chance that they're going to try to build this offense off of the run first. Um, and because of that, you know, if, if you're competing for that slot job and you're Jalen Jackson and Chase Penry... Who is able to get these overhang safeties or, or whatever you want to call them away from the line of scrimmage? Who can push them back? There's going to be some battles on that sort of stuff. And again, I, the fact that Phil McGagan has been coaching in these West Coast offenses for so long, I think that that bodes well. Um, but it's going to be a battle because you look at R.J. Sneed, I think he's got to be your number one receiver. I, I think he's proven... And he he also fits the number one receiver sort of mold in this offense. You know, there's a couple different ways that it can go, but when you look at like, can he be a Debo Samuel type? I mean, Debo Samuel's a freak. Nobody can be him. But in terms of that mold, I think that Sneed kind of is that guy. And I think there's a lot of similar similarities with Brendan Rice too. You don't necessarily need somebody who is that six foot four, go jump up and get the deep ball type of guy. Uh, but if you have R.J. Sneed, who, first of all, can do some of that stuff at six foot one or whatever he's listed, but can be strong underneath, can get open, can see where the space is, do those sorts of things, um, 
and make plays with the ball in his hands. Honestly, I've said this before, but I think that he's an upgrade over Brendan Rice for this season. You know, is is Brendan Rice going to turn into a superstar a year and a half from now where you say, wow, it really sucks that he wasn't in Boulder? There's a real chance of that. There's a real chance of that. But when you just look at these two as football players right now, I mean, again, R.J. Sneed is proven, and he can get open. And, you know, while, while there are some really great highlights and some really great games from Brendan Rice, just the, the number of times that Sneed has done those things, I think that as of right now, there's there's more to like. You know, if there's definitely more clay to work with with uh, Brendan Rice. Again, it's disappointing that he's not here because I think that him and R.J. Sneed, they probably would compete for that number one job. I, I, I also think that Sneed probably comes away with it. Um, but yeah, you look at Sneed, you look at Montana Lamonius Craig, um, Chase Penry, Daniel Arias, Maurice Bell, Jalen Jackson, Ty Robinson, some of these freshmen who are coming in as well, um, Jordan Tyson. I, uh, It's going to be a battle, and there's going to be a lot of rotation out there, and I think that figuring out who your best receivers are, first of all, it's going to be a challenge, but second of all, when it comes to fixing this passing game, I think that that piece of the equation is going to get overlooked. I think that just assuming that the coaches are going to be able to put the best players on the field is typically really dangerous. And again, I like the staff. I think that they're going to be able to do it. I think Phil McGagan knows what he's looking for. Um, Carl Durrell, obviously. Um, but that's going to be a challenge. The other thing the other thing that Clay Patterson said when he talked with us is that you have to be able to protect the quarterback. And that's the first thing they're looking at right now. And I think, obviously, that makes sense. Um, none of this really matters if the quarterback is you know, taking a beating back there and getting flustered on other plays, if there's just consistent pressure, um, if the pressure's coming from his blind side, so he's quick to run out the other way when you know it's, it's only been a second and a half, but he panics, uh, can force him to get rid of the ball early and try to fit it into a window that's not really there, but things haven't quite developed to the point where you can see what's happening yet. There's a lot of problems, obviously, that come from not being able to, to protect the quarterback. And again, that comes down a, a lot of it to Kyle Devan. Um, he's the one who's going to be hands-on with these guys working all day saying, here's what you're looking for. Here's how, here's how you decide who to pick up. Um, because you know, passing off these players, reading who's going to be coming. I think, I mean, Matt McChesney's talked about this quite a bit too with some of the guys that, that he works with, um, which is a lot of the Buffs offensive linemen, including Jake Wiley. But McChesney's come on the podcast and said things like, those guys don't know what they're doing. And they're asking him questions on the sideline during games saying like, what do we do here? How do we do this? And again, it's... It's a it's another really big knock on Mitch Rodriguez. But you also wonder how quickly can this stuff change? You know, because we did see some pretty immediate fixes in those couple of games with William Vallejos. And there were a couple of duds in there too, but the best performances of the season were in those games that he coached at the end of the year. Um, and because of that, you know, if you bring in a Kyle Devan, somebody who has a bunch of experience, has been an assistant offensive line coach in the NFL, has been an offensive line coach at the Power 5 level, um, was was working with 
the linemen at Michigan last year when they became the best offensive line in the country or won the award for it at least. A young coach who comes in, can he clean this group up? I really think so. I really think so. And I think that the competition this year is going to be better. You lose Colby Purcell, your center. Um, you lose Kari Cooch, who's your probably best lineman. But, again, I'm, I don't know. I don't want to, like, bash Colby, but he, he wasn't an all-pack 12 center, you know? I think that some of these younger guys, whether it's Josh Gines or Austin Johnson or whoever steps up into that role, I think you could see um, a fairly similar level of play while also seeing these other linemen coach up um, or get coached up by Kyle Devan. Um, but I also think that a lot of this is going to come down to whether the quarterback can fix the problems that he sees. You know, there was... There were some struggles identifying who the blitzers were last year, you know. And and in college football, you you just hope that you have either a good quarterback or a good center. And really, I mean, those calls could even come from a different position at the college level as well. Um, you know, your, your left tackle, if he's your best lineman, he might be seeing things and telling people what to do. Um, the, the you know you hear a lot about like the Peyton Manning Jeff Saturday connection where Peyton's able to look at the coverages Jeff Saturday's able to figure out who's coming who's not coming and set everything up up front and then they kind of work together Peyton obviously helps with that a little bit like that is the dream in college football the odds that you have two guys who see the field really well they're kind of slim and last year I'm not sure that they had one of them and again that's not to bash Colby I think that a lot of that's probably coaching I think that he's a really smart guy and I think that with the right coaching he probably could have been really good at that. I, to be honest, I, Colby, Colby's up there, I think, on the list of like smartest players last year. I, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, this year, can JT Shrout be that guy? Can JT see the field, read defenses in a way that Brendan Lewis couldn't? I think that there's a real chance that that's the case. And I think that there's a lot of things that come along with that as well. You know, obviously the first thing you think of is, okay, the, he can set up the protections better. He uh, he can change the play to to fit what he's seeing from the defense. You know, he can see where the advantage is in the run game and maybe tweak the, the running plays a little bit. Um, but I think that all of that only matters if he's given the freedom to do those things. And I think that... You know, I'm curious to see how that goes. Because last year, Brendan Lewis was not given the freedom to do those things. If the, the the call is run the ball to the right and the defense has a numbers advantage to the right, they're probably just running that ball to the right because Brendan, for honestly, for probably a bunch of different reasons, wasn't allowed to do that. Um, he's a freshman quarterback who's struggling. You don't want to put too much on his plate. And so it's kind of defensible in that way. Um, but also, it, it's, how many games are going to win if your quarterback isn't out there cleaning up the, the little issues before the play? You know, that's something we talked about a lot with Nate in the past and, and the way that defense worked, um, especially when it was a little more complicated a couple of years ago and you need different checks. So you need Nate out there saying, okay, we called this play which means we have to tweak it in this way because they have two receivers on this side and a tight end on the other. Um, and so that means we have to do this little thing. And then they have whatever, so we have to do this little thing. And he was working with the safety. I'm actually, who was that last year? 
I guess they didn't make as many calls last year, but it had to have been Isaiah Lewis for the most part. Darian Rakestraw, that's who was the year before, um, when it was even more intense. It was Darian Rakestraw and Nate Lamon out there kind of working together to, to build everything. Kind of the opposite of like that Peyton Manning, um, uh, Jeff Saturday connection. I feel like I talk about Jeff Saturday too much on this podcast. But, um, yeah, I mean, when Nate's out there, you just know that all those little checks are going to be made the right way, and that feels pretty good. And when you don't have that from the quarterback position, like you're just not going to be that good of a football team more likely than not. You know, you've seen in the past teams get around it, but I don't know. In the NFL, you're not going to win much at all. In college football, it's tough to believe that when push comes to shove, you're going to be winning those games. I think that JT JT might be that guy. He might be able to do those things and... You know, I'm curious to see more of him as a passer, especially because at this point it's been a couple years since we've seen him. You know, it's one thing last year to be saying, "Okay, here's here's what he did at Tennessee. Here's the throws that he was making," um, because you know he probably gets a little bigger and stronger throughout the off season as college players do. Um, when it's been, I mean, by the time that he actually takes the field in the game, if he is the starter, that'll be 21 months since the last time he's played in a college football game that arm strength might be much better. Um, the the accuracy might be much better. And if a couple of those things click for him, and he has that mental side of the game, then you could see how that would really open up a lot of this offense. You know, if, if he's trusted to say, hey, RJ, you're out there in one-on-one coverage. We both see it. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's cover two man. There's a safety over the top. We're going to get this slot receiver next to you to run a little slant. You're going to charge hard down the field and just break back on a comeback route. There's going to be nobody underneath you. It's going to be wide open. Let's let's make that quick check. Now, obviously, that conversation when they're lined up at the line of scrimmage doesn't take nearly that long. But if he's able to see the defense and take advantage of that, that just goes so far. And I think that that's one of the missing pieces of this passing game is the ability for the quarterback and the receiver to just say, hey, here's what we're doing here. Um, because that's, I mean, that's a lot of NFL football, especially like those two-minute drills. When you look at Aaron Rodgers, what he does at the end of games, Joe Burrow at the end of games. And again, college games a little bit different. You know, I'm not, even like C.J. Stroud, how much of that is happening, who knows. But, you know, with Kenny Pickett, with Mac Jones, um, with, uh, I think maybe you put Justin Fields on that list. Well, I'm sure there's some other big ones I'm missing, but that that can bump you up a level in terms of your passing game. Um, the Increasing the pass protection can bump you up a level in terms of your passing game. And we didn't talk about the running backs at all, but I think that they could be one of these changes because we just didn't see them get used in the passing game all that much. Um, and I think that having them as an outlet... It can change the way the defense has to defend you, especially if you're if you can beat them on it a couple of times, right? You know, if you're running whatever, uh, I don't even know. Um, say I don't know, like a slant route on one side and whatever concept on the other, smash on the other side, and I guess then the slant, whatever. The point is, if you're able to just leak out the running back, that can add uh, another level to your passing attack, right? 
So if they're playing a zone where there's a flat defender and a deep defender, and both those guys are occupied by receivers down the field, just having that little guy who can dump it out to, that can be valuable. Um, and in pass protection, especially when this offensive line has struggled, it can also be really valuable there. Um, I don't know who that guy is on the roster who you who you trust to do that. I think that that's why maybe you get so excited about Jaylee Stacks. It's because obviously he has the body to go in and just hit guys in in the trenches. Um, if if they send six and you need him to pick somebody up, and you just need him to go straight ahead and smash somebody, he is capable of that. He also has good hands, and he I've seen a couple of moves in practice where he's been shifty and has shown that he can be more than what you'd expect out of a fullback when he does get a chance to catch the ball out of the backfield. And so, could he be that guy? I think that's possible. You know, Deion Smith, I've talked, I, I told Deion this a couple years ago, um, but like, I've always thought, he's so fast, obviously if you can get him the ball in space, he can make a play with it. If he can just become that pass protector type, then that could be kind of his his mold, and he could carve out that role. Um, to be honest, like I look at Ramon Jefferson, not so much as that kind of back. And I could be way off, you know. C.J. Anderson, kind of a similar style of runner, uh, and he was great in pass protection in part because he was so smart. Um, but it's figuring out whether you have one of those guys on the roster like Victor Van I think it's easy to get excited about him as a receiver but also like can he be that pass protector we'll see the point is even if you have one of those guys who you know you can throw him throw him the ball in the flat and he can make a play with it um, maybe you can even run some more complex stuff with him um, like you see done with you know Christian McCaffrey or um, Sony Michelle or whoever else there's there's value in that. But in order to take advantage of it, I think a lot of that has to be at the line of scrimmage. And maybe these are calls that can be made from the sideline with those big cards or whatever. Um, but it's, it's a lot easier when you can call a play and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. The running back is either going to, to go up there and protect or he's going to go out into the flat and be a little dump-off option. Um, and that's going to depend on what you see at the line of scrimmage. I think that Brendan, first of all, wasn't really allowed to make those calls. He could also add some of that sort of stuff to his game in the offseason. Obviously, like these these offseasons for college football players are very, very, very valuable. And we talk about the strength and all that stuff, but also the mental side of the game. And football school, I believe, is in session now for CU. It might not. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, this is the kind of stuff that with the quarterbacks, you, you want to get down. Because if JT can go out there and say, hey, look, there's there's six guys coming. Left tackle, you take that edge guy. We got the, the running back coming across. He's just going to smash this the second guy through. Um, and we'll be set there. We can that'll, that'll protect us. Like If he can make that call and realize what's happening in front of him, I think that that could go a long, long way in this quarterback competition. And, you know, that might even change. It might even be, hey, look, we got a five-man rush. Dion, you're hanging out right here. First guy who gets beat, you go help him out. Or, you know, this Jake Wiley is getting cooked off the edge. He has been all game. You just go help him out right off the bat. You know, if, if he's able to kind of control that sort of stuff, it, 
there's there's just a lot of ways that this offensive attack could get a lot better, specifically in the passing game. And we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Um, if we had to rank the things that need to get fixed, um, that's uh, that's tough to do. This is not something I planned on doing. Um, number one is either the protection or something with the quarterback. Um, I'm not sure if it's accuracy with the quarterback. I don't think it's accuracy because, you know, it's not like Brendan Lewis had perfect accuracy last year, but you can... A couple of missed passes here and there weren't the big issue. So it's not going to be the accuracy. Uh, Decision-making, being able to understand complex reads, um, being able to to recognize what's happening in front of you. Do you need to bring a running back in to help? Um, when do you roll out? Those sorts of things. You know what? Number one, we're going to go. The protection needs to improve this year. That's the, the first thing that could happen that could really improve this passing attack. Um, number two... We're going to go with, and this is a tough one, it's either better patterns, better route combinations, or it's better ability for the quarterback to to make reads, to progress from, you know, read one to two, and hopefully from two to three. And the reason that one's so hard to differentiate those two things is because there's a chance that Darren Cheverini just said, hey, we're not getting this guy to, to make these complicated reads so what we're going to do is say, hey, this this receiver, pre-snap, one of these two guys is going to have this look. And if it's that look, you just let him run his route and get him the ball. Um, the, instead of, you know, the linebacker is either going to go to this guy or that guy, throw it to the other one. You know, if you're not trusting your quarterback to make those reads, then you can't really fault the play calling that says, here's the route that you're throwing to. And I think that there was a lot of throw the ball to this guy on this play. Um, we're going to go with improved decision-making from the quarterback. B- ability to read a defense. Whether that's Brendan getting better, whether that's JT taking over the job and just being better at it. We're going to go number one is better protection. Number two is ability to progress through reads, read a defense. Um, number three is better patterns and just play pa- play calling in general. Um, patterns downfield, but also recognizing when your offensive line is getting beat and knowing when to keep more blockers in, whether that's Brady Russell, whether that's uh, a running back. You know, Brady Russell out of the backfield might not be the worst idea ever. If, if these running backs don't impress this season, which, hey, you lost Jarek Broussard, that is on the table. Um, if these running backs don't impress you this season, running with uh, Brady in the backfield and uh, whoever whoever your your better tight end is at better young tight end, whether that's Fourier, whether that's Eric Olson, somebody else, letting them line up on the line of scrimmage, maybe even flex them out. Um, your three receivers, you could go four receivers. Who knows? It would obviously, like, the the threat of the run wouldn't be nearly as much. But pass protection would be better, and if you're getting beat, then that's not a bad look on third downs, especially because you can trust him to get out of the backfield when needed. Um, and, and you could have him run even some of these option routes. Some that, that has to do with the quarterback being able to make those reads as well. But Brady Russell's played a lot of football, and if they want him running these option routes that you see, um, you know, the 49ers, the Rams, run 
that could work too. That could work too. And maybe even mold that role into something that he can split with a J. Lee Stacks. Or, you know, something that you can keep using even if Brady does miss a game because J. Lee can kind of plug in and fill that role. I don't know. There's there's a bunch of options. There's a bunch of options. But there's also a lot of things that could be better. You know, I think that it's easy to sit here and say that passing attack was really bad last year. How could they possibly be so much better that they can, you know, go to a bowl game next year? I get it. But you can also look at it and say there are so many things that can be fixed. If they can just fix two or three of them, that is going to be such a big difference. You know, that that could be enough to get them from very, very, very bad passing the ball to below average. And there's a big difference between those two things. Um, or who knows, maybe to average, or maybe even to good. We'll see. Um, there you go. There's a bunch of thoughts on all the passing stuff. Um, and my big takeaway is that I do think that it's going to be better. And also that I'm excited to see what it looks like. Not nearly as excited as I would be if, Brendan Rice is out there and Jarek Broussard could be catching some of those passes. And, you know, I know that there was some frustration. I mean, I don't know. Not to say Jarek was necessarily right about all the complaints that he may have had about touches, but there were a couple of plays that you look back and say, how did Brendan not get him the ball? He was wide open and instead he forced it into something he shouldn't be forcing it into. Um, or, I don't know. His, his issues weren't even like the force passes so much as like, uh, this guy's decently covered. I'm just going to throw it too far. If I accidentally underthrow it, then maybe he gets under it and it works, but I'm definitely not going to underthrow it to the point where it could be in danger, which for a young quarterback, you could have worse tendencies. Um, but when you're doing these kind of quasi throwaways, when you have Jarek open underneath, that's where Jarek and his uh, complaints about touches have a little bit more weight to them um, we need to get out of here though so that's gonna do it for today uh appreciate you guys as always for listening we'll be back tomorrow talking about the game after the game i don't think we'll get a podcast in before that i, don't, I mean there's no reason to um so we'll chat late tomorrow night i'll see you guys then